<clears throat> Please remain standing as I read the following passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you, may, you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all you who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The word of the Lord. Dear God, I pray now for the word as it is divided for us this morning by our pastor, uh, Andrew, that you would be with him. Um, this is an important passage, as they all are, of course, but as he wraps this up, help us to, to understand what uh, we have covered these last number of weeks and as he brings it to a culmination, that we will uh, be impressed with the truth of it, that we will uh, embrace it and practice it as we endeavor to, to walk in truth. And we pray these things in our Lord's name. Amen. You indeed may be seated. You already figured that out. Well, good morning. It's good to be together again as it is every week. Looking forward to diving into this passage. I've been thinking of, I don't know what year the Olympics was, uh, that uh, when, when Carrie Strug stuck the landing. You guys know what I'm talking about? You remember that, some of you? Uh, we're coming to the end of Ephesians, and, and Paul sticks the landing, as it were. Uh, he has been scaling the heights, and, and now as he brings this book to a close, uh, he does so with aplomb. He does so uh, in a way that, that really captures our hearts uh, and captures our imaginations. Let's use those imaginations for a moment uh, put yourself in a different place. You can feel uh, the cool air of the night as the sun is setting in Ephesus. Uh, but the home that you are in is, is warm with lamplight, and it's humming with the welcoming sound of stifled laughter, shared conversation. As soon as uh, everybody slips through the door, you can sense that something is stirring. There's news. We ask around and we discover 
what has happened. There, there's a letter that has come. Tychicus has brought it from Paul all the way from Rome. This makes us happy because it means we'll get to listen to Tychicus read. It, it mesmerizes me every time the way that he enunciates every syllable carefully, gently, sometimes pausing to explain the meaning of more difficult words or ideas or to laugh forgivingly when one of the children decides to throw a tantrum. We're there. We're, we're mostly women, widows, slaves, poor laborers, unable to read the letters from the apostles on our own, though among us there are a few wealthy tradesmen, the owners of sprawling households. It really is strange uh, to see us all sitting together at the sacred meal, the master breaking bread with the slave, a Jew sharing a joke with a former pagan priest, a husband pouring wine for his wife, a zealot debating politics with a tax collector. But this is what makes us different. It's what makes us Christians. It's strange, this fellowship. In the marketplace, it's very, very different. In the marketplace, there are divisions, suspicions. My people, the Jews, are, are deeply suspicious of the Romans. Uh, in one sense, this is understandable. They've hurt us. There are overlords. But it's that way all over. The Romans hate the Greeks. The Greeks hate the North Africans. They all hate the gypsies. Everybody hates the gypsies. They call them a thieving lot. And yet here, somehow, it's different. There are Romans, Greeks, North Africans, and even a gypsy couple. Everyone at our meeting tonight. I guess this is what we have been taught. I guess this is what Paul has been writing to us about. For years, his letters have been read in this home, telling us, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave or free, for we are all one in Christ. But can we really live like this? The tensions seem so high. What's at stake is so great. Our lives seem so fraught. Perhaps tonight's letter will help. It's interesting, when we come to the end of this letter, we, we realize that it's not just an esoteric piece of literature, you know, in a Holy Spirit-inspired Bible. It, it is that. But it was a, a real letter to real people who were dealing with real questions and real tensions in the world that they lived in. Uh, they had questions about the, the fragmentation of their life. Could, can we be these people who we are proclaiming or professing to be? Can we be these people who God is declaring us to be? Can we live it out in our home, in our marriages, with our children, with our parents? Can we live it in the marketplace? Can we live it with Jews and Gentiles and, and slaves and free people? Can we live it uh, in the midst of a secular society that wants to extinguish us, that wants to crush us, 
that doesn't want to see us thrive. Do you have any of those same questions as you come this morning? My guess is yes. I mean, we, we have all of those same questions. You know, we, we're weak and frail. We, we, we sang about some of that this morning. We are, are beset by troubles at home and in the workplace. We, we struggle to say, I, I see this, this great truth. I, I see its beauty. I see all of that. But when it comes right down to it, with a sister who won't talk to me, you know, with a kid who is struggling to understand their place in the world, you know, with a neighbor who is angry with a boss who hates me. You know, can't, can we really live as integrated whole people I think Paul was struggling with this. He lived in a fragmented world, but Paul himself was not fragmented. He, he describes himself here in this book and in the close of this letter as an ambassador in chains. It, it's an it's a oxymoron. You know, if you're an ambassador in the country, you should have freedom to move around. You should have access to the places where you need to be in order to speak on behalf of your government. But Paul is locked up. Paul is in chains, and he feels that tension. But he himself, as we can see here, is not fragmented. He lived with clutter all around him, but he himself wasn't cluttered. The way that he uncluttered his life and unified the fragments was to focus on the essentials as he concludes his letter to the Ephesians. Prayer, the proclamation of his mission, and the closing of peace, love, and grace. That is what gave him focus in a fragmented world, and it's what will give us focus as well. That's what uncluttered his life, and it's what will unclutter ours. Prayer, the proclamation, and peace. These are the promises, and this is the direction that we hold on to. As you know, we've been marching through the bigger picture of Ephesians, the first three chapters. We have heaven's view. We have heaven's view of reality, we have heaven's view of the mission of Christ, we have heaven's view of us, we have heaven's view uh, of being loved and brought into the family of God from before the foundation of the world. We, we have this incredible feast, even a Thanksgiving feast, uh, that has been set before us and, and laid out with all of the promises, all of the delicacies that our hearts could desire. And then in chapter 4, we began to realize that Paul says, okay, you've got to start burning some of this energy now. You've taken in all of this protein. You've taken in all of this nourishment. What does it look like to use it up 
in the course of your life? What does it look like as we speak the truth with one another? What does it look like as we put away falsehood, as we stop thieving, as we uh, learn to live as God's people in our homes, in our marriages, with our kids, with our parents, all of these different things? What does it mean to live like this in the midst of a world that has devils in it? What does it mean to look, live like uh, the, the people of God in a world where you're, you're taking the, the, the flaming darts of the evil one? And that's what Michael uh, unpacked with us a little bit last week, the incredible promises that we have that God equips us with His armor. It's not merely this external armor that we gather these disparate pieces on, but it is God's armor himself, salvation and peace and uh, faithfulness, uh, all of these different things that both protect us and by which we can strike back at the evil one. And then Paul uh, pushes it forward and he says, what does this look like then finally? You know, to live as people uh, who are integrated in the midst of fragmentation. What does it look like as people who can stand firm, who can walk worthy? All of these phrases that Paul has been using throughout the book of Ephesians. The first thing that he mentions is prayer. You see it there in verse 18. Uh, we picked up uh, where the sentence picks up in our reading, verse 16. But uh, Michael talked about the, the closing uh, sentiments there in 16 and 17. And then in 18, uh, we, we get this incredible call to pray at all times, um, to pray at all times, with all prayer, with all perseverance, for all the saints. Uh, there are four alls there. And, and, and Paul is emphasizing the importance of wrapping up everything that he has been talking about, most specifically, most recently, the, the armor of God, wrapping it up with prayer. Prayer is the, the believer's friend. Prayer is what what we live by. Prayer is what sustains us. Prayer is what clothes us with this armor. Prayer is what uh, moves us forward. Praying at all times with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance for all the saints. It's a comprehensive view of prayer. You're, you're struck by the allness of it. Uh, Paul doesn't say, you know, on occasion or when you sit down for a meal or uh, make sure that you get it in once per day. He, he really is talking about it comprehensively. If you take a look at each one of those alls, you get a sense of it at all times. You know, prayer is to be an ongoing dialogue with God. Uh, not only for those times that we set aside where we, we start our prayer with, uh, you know, Heavenly Father or Lord or, or some sort of form of address and we end it with an amen, but it's that dialogue that we have with God as we're driving in our car, uh, as we're walking into a meeting, as we are... Uh, diving into a conversation with our teenager. Uh, th this is the kind of prayer, prayer that breathes in, breathes out at all 
times. All types of prayer and supplication. We, we recognize that there are many different types of prayer. It's not just simply this idea of lists or uh, an idea of asking God for things, but there are prayers of praise. You know, when we look outside and we see the beauty of a, of a fall day or we, we recognize the daintiness of a snowfall, we, we praise the Lord. We, we lament when we see war taking place in different parts of the world, when we hear the story of a friend that connects to our heart. We confess as we did this morning, when we're aware of our own hearts and how far short they fall. Uh, we have prayers of surrender. We have prayers of contemplation where we just take a truth that is too deep for words and we allow our hearts to approach it. We allow the Spirit to speak to us. We, we don't even have the words at that moment. But we sit quietly in the presence of God. This is what Paul is talking about with all prayer and supplication. Uh, at all times, with, with all types of prayer. Uh, not only the type that, that lay out our needs before God, but prayer that, that seeks to touch and to know and to, um, to sit in the beauty of who God is, with all perseverance. Uh, Why do you think Paul says that? Because prayer is hard. Uh, You know, we we talk about prayer, and I I think most of us, and if you read religious surveys, most people will say that they pray, but that doesn't mean that it's easy. I I struggle uh, to pray. Uh, especially focus. I mean, I'm a little bit ADD, and my mind can go, you know, from here to here, and you realize that even as I'm talking sometimes, I'll have the stray thought and, you know, squirrel. Uh, And maybe some of you are are like that, and that's one of the ways that I struggle to pray. Uh, Sometimes I struggle to pray because um, I'm, I'm just not tuned in to those around me, I, I haven't paid attention. I've been too, uh, too taken up with my own concerns. And, and so to really pray for somebody else can be difficult. What is it that, that makes you struggle to pray? It could be a lot of things. But Paul says persevere in your prayer. You know, keep, keep at it. Don't give up. Uh, and in, in the very least, what we can do is, is just say, Lord, here I am. I don't even know what to say. You know, teach me to pray. Bring to mind the things that you want me to focus on, the things that you want to dialogue about. And then he says, of course, for all the saints... Uh, Paul has in mind here this idea that, that prayer is not just about us, but it's about those that are around us, about things that are going on in our world. I, I think this may be one of the reasons why Paul says pray in the Spirit. Did you notice that? Uh, when we pray in the Spirit, what happens? 
I don't know, there could be a lot of things that happen. I don't want to put the spirit in a box. Uh, but uh, one of the things I, I think that happens when we pray in the spirit is that we are actually led in our prayers. Uh, when we pray in the Spirit, the Spirit engages with our hearts, He engages with our minds, and, and He moves us not simply to think about our own desires, but to think about what God thinks about. Because the Spirit is the one, as Paul talks about in Corinthians, that, that knows the heart of God. And he translates those things to us with groans that are too deep for words. And so Paul invites us here, and I do think it's an invitation. You know, Paul is saying, here you are. You're all gathered together. You all have your weaknesses. You all have your frailties. You all have the things that you're struggling with. How are you going to make it in life? Come. Pray in the Spirit at all times with all sorts of prayer, with all perseverance for all the saints. Here's how one writer puts it. Praying in the Spirit is different from just praying. Most of our prayers tend to be wishless and prayers for protection, but praying in the Spirit involves engagement with God and assistance from the Spirit that takes us beyond our immediate concerns. Isn't that encouraging? I mean, isn't that uh, a, a beautiful thing to think about? That the things that we are, are so occupied with on a day-in and day-out basis aren't the biggest things in the world. You know, that God sees them, that God sees all of these different things. You know, so when we pray about sisters and brothers in the Middle East or in various African countries as we did recently with the persecuted church, uh, when we pray about our neighbors uh, who are walking through it, it, it gives us a perspective. It gives us the ability to, uh, to understand and to trust that God has all of this in his mind and in his heart and in his hands. And it invites us to rest and to trust. And I think this is why Paul says to the Ephesians, pray also for me. You know, Paul's, Paul knows that he needs other people to pray for him. He's just said, like, this is his practice. I think he's sharing to us, you know, his practice of, of prayer for all. But he's inviting folks to say, pray, pray for me also. We could spend some time talking about the importance of prayer for those who minister the Word, and I certainly would value that. Uh, you don't have to look far in our present context to know that perhaps people who are most under attack, both from those that are outside of the church as well as from their own sort of desires and their own sinfulness are, are people who are charged with bringing the word. And I know many of you pray. You tell me. You say, I've been praying for you, uh, Andrew. I've been praying for you, Pastor. And I, I so appreciate those things. But, but I'm here saying I know why Paul is asking his people to pray for him. 
uh, because it, it is not easy. And, and those who are called to serve by leading in the church desperately need the prayers of the people. So this is the first the first thing that, that Paul sort of gathers here to, to draw together an integrated life in a fragmented world, he says prayer is essential. Prayer at all times, uh, with all kinds of prayer, with all perseverance for all people, in the Spirit, and pray also for me. So this is what we are praying for. So what's the purpose Paul says that I may proclaim too. You know, Paul here, again, seeking integration in the midst of fragmentation, recognizes that he needs prayer and recognizes that he is absolutely committed to a purpose in this life. And and, and this is one of the things that I, I think all of us will acknowledge and studies will corroborate that if we do not have a telos, if we do not have a purpose, if we do not have an end, we drift. And we don't understand how it is that we can live. I, I, we see this in the news with young people. You know, why are young people taking their life at, at unprecedented rates, both in this country and in other countries abroad? It's, it's this question of purpose. You know, why is it that when I talk to many of you who are getting on in years and maybe in that last lap of the race of life, you know, these are the questions that we're struggling with. Why am I here? What am I doing here? What, what purpose do I have at this point in my life? But Paul never lose sight of that. You know, even there in prison, you know, what good am I? What, what possible good could I be doing here? I'm an ambassador in chains. You know, what, what kind of sense does that make? Paul never loses sight of what his purpose is. Remember in Philippians, and in Philippians, uh, probably along with Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon are, are his four prison letters. And, and, and he prays here, as he does in Philippians, that he may proclaim boldly. He says it twice. You know, that he may proclaim boldly, that he may preach boldly uh, the things that God has given to him, these truths that he has been explicating to the Ephesians that he has been laying out under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that is his purpose. His purpose is to make the grace of God known. His purpose is that those who are walking in darkness would see a great light. His purpose is that in the midst of a world that is proclaiming Zeus as God and Apollo as God and Mercury as God and Aphrodite as God, in a world that is proclaiming all of these other gods, he is saying there is one God, and He is the King. He is the Lord. He is the one that unifies our life. He is the one that gives us grace. He is the one who has adopted us, made us daughters and son, heirs of the grace. And He's saying, this is my purpose, to make this known in whatever way possible, in whatever circumstance that uh, I may find myself in.
And frankly, you know, this is what he's been talking about throughout Ephesians, is that Christ would be glorified. You know, how does he end the end of chapter 1, that that the fullness of Christ would be over all and in all? Uh, Not that it would just simply be a reality, because that's true, but that it would be seen and observed, and that it would be celebrated, and that there would be praise that would emanate from the fact that Jesus is over all and in all. And this is what gets Paul up in the morning, and this is what moves him forward, and this is what we are called to in terms of our purpose as well. Yes, we we all have our own individual sort of occupations, uh, sub-vocations, if you will. But our overall vocation, our overall calling is to make Christ known uh, through our lives. One writer puts it this way. He says, evangelism, the proclamation of Christ, you know, highlighting the glory of, of who he is, is not a task of the church. It is the task of the church. This is what we are called to do. It's tempting in our consumeristic age to think that we have come together in order that we might have our needs met. God does meet our needs. Praise God for that. Uh, he, he meets us. He, he, he ministers to us deep in the, in the very hurting places of our life. But that is not the telos. You know, the, the telos, the end of what it is, is that we could glorify Christ. That's why we've been brought together here uh, at Christ Church. That we would glorify Christ through our coming together, through our love for one another, in our singing, in our conversation, that we would glorify Him as we take meals to one another, that we would glorify Him as we uh, sit with one another in, in difficult times, that we would glorify Him through the way that we distribute our wealth, that we would glorify Him uh, in the ways that, that we push out, the ways that we conduct our business in the marketplace, the ways that we go on mission, not just support missionaries, but the ways that we go on mission. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying there is one purpose in life, and that is to proclaim him boldly. Some have suggested you can even translate boldly as brazenly. You know, there is a there is a, 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 a boldness. <laughs> there you go. I lost a word. You know, there, there is a boldness to, to where Paul is. And he says, this is why I'm here. I give you one other thing here, just observation. Because, you know, some of us are saying, I, I hear you. And this is certainly an invitation. This is our call. Uh, as the church, as God's people. But we're all different uh, in the way that that gets worked out. I, I use words, uh, you know, in, in terms of my vocation. Not everybody loves that. You know, some of you I so appreciate when, I, I, you know, some of you get up to do the welcome, and I know that you are hating every. 179 seconds of it. I mean, you uh, are despising it. You don't like to be up in front, but you do it because you love us, and I thank you for that. Uh, 
Uh, but we all have a, a role. We all have a role in, in the church of Christ, in the mission of the gospel. And we see that with Tychicus. You know, Tychicus, who Paul says is our, uh, our beloved brother and faithful minister. I don't, I don't love the translation minister. Uh, the, the word there is doulos. It's the same word that's been translated servant throughout the book. Uh, I think it's better to, to translate it faithful servant, especially in our context where minister can have a, a certain... I, you know, we don't know that Tychicus was a pastor. We don't know that he was ordained or anything like that. He was a guy, but who was a beloved brother and a faithful servant. He was a mailman. This was the Paul Dallaire of the ancient world. He was bringing the mail from Rome to Ephesus to Colossians, yeah, to Colossae, uh, you know, bringing a letter to Philemon. But he did it faithfully, and he did it with love. And he was loved and he was cared for. Where are you? You know, what is your role? Some of you may be male men or male women of the church. You know, bringing meals, uh, sending cards, encouraging people. That is a ministry and a gift. Do it faithfully. You know, some of you may have a different role. Whatever it is that your hand finds to do or whatever it is that God has put for you. Do it faithfully. And love those who, who are serving, which means, you know, love us all, right? You see that love. I, I, I love how Paul talks about it. What a, what a great testimony that if you could have this, again, sometimes we talk about, uh, I think this is David Brooks, right? He talks about the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues, you know, we don't put dearly beloved, faithful servant on our resume. But boy, I want that said at my funeral. And, and that is what Paul is inviting us to. A surrendered, humble, spirit-filled life that is doing what God has brought before us in service of the proclamation of the kingdom of Christ the conquering of the gospel. And that's where Paul ends this thing. You know, throughout, Paul has been talking to us about all of the glory that we see when we look at the world from a heavenly vantage point. You know, Paul starts in the heavens. And those first three chapters, he is just throwing out truth after truth after glorious truth about the work of God in the world and what he has done to redeem a people for himself. And here Paul brings all of these themes back, you know, with this sentence where he says, Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, with love incorruptible. As Paul is talking here, you recognize that peace, love, grace, faith, these are all things that he has been talking about throughout the course of the book.
peace. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down, broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and thus making peace that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing the hostility. When Paul is saying, peace be with you, he is saying, this is the peace. Christ be with you. Christ the one who has broken down in his body the hostility. So we're sitting here, they're sitting there, and they're saying, how do we get together? You know, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, uh, those who are zealots and those who are tax collectors, politically diverse, how do we come together? Peace be with you. The peace that Christ embodies, the peace that he gives you, the peace that, that has made you one with Christ that has killed the hostility that we have with the heavenly throne. And then he says, and, and love through faith, right? He says, peace be with the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a few things that are con kind of confusing here in these word or in these last words the love with faith what it, what exactly is the faith uh, talking about it, it could be that it it comes together faithful love is, is it our faith or is it God's faith like that's the question here as we try to figure out which is um, uh, which is explain which word is explaining which word um, but if we think about what Paul says about faith earlier in Ephesians, we recognize that all faith is a gift of God. Like, it's, it's not the, the quantity or the quality of our faith that makes us one with Christ, that lands us in that. It is rather the object of our faith that makes us one with Christ. And the faith that we have, the faith that we exercise, is a gift from God himself. So yes, we, we look at our faith, uh, but we realize that our faith is given to us by God. And, and as he's saying, you have this love with faith, you recognize the truth of what he was telling us back in Ephesians chapter 3. That, you know, Paul is, is praying, he's bowing his knees before the Father, that you may know, according to the riches of uh, his glory, that you would be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here, what Paul is saying here when he's talking about this love with faith is exactly what he was talking about back in chapter 3 uh, in his prayer. That you would be open by the Spirit to what God has done in this world and having put off the old man, having put on the new man, you would know the love of Christ. Uh, it, what matters is not 
our love for him, but his love for us. And that's what Paul says at the very end. He says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. The kind of love that exists between God and his people will last forever. It is incorruptible. Nothing can corrode it. Nothing can take it away. And Paul says, this is what exists, and I want you to know how wide and how high, how long and how deep is this love of Christ so that you can stand. And then he says, grace. Grace be with you. Grace that he had talked about back in chapter 1, verse 7. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, uh, making known to us the mystery of his will. You see, when Paul is seeking for unification, when he's seeking for integration in the midst of his weakness, in the midst of his fragmentation, he comes back to what is absolutely bedrock in the universe. And that is the peace, the love, and the grace of God. These are the things that he can hang his hat on. These are the things where we can stand when we feel so weak, so beleaguered, so broken, so absolutely at our wit's end. When we feel like all is lost, where do we go? We go to the promises, peace, love, grace of God. One last thing. Paul always begins his letter. Every letter, you can go and, and read it. And he always says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to the Colossians, to the Ephesians, to the Corinthians. But he ends every letter with a different preposition. Do you see what it is? Grace and peace with. Grace and love and peace with you. It's almost like Paul is saying, I can't be there in person. But I want you to know how deeply you are loved and cared for and held by the Lord. And as we close this letter and as you go out into your week, as you go out into the world, as you go out seeking for integration in the midst of fragmentation, you do not go alone. For the God of peace, love, and grace goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. So matter how dark it seems to be, no matter how wide the chasm seems that you have to cross, you are not alone. You are held by a Savior who through his own broken body has made peace. Do you love him? That's what the question is. You know, all who love Christ 
with a love incorruptible. Again, it's not the quality of your love or the quantity of your love. But have you surrendered your heart to Him? Have you collapsed knowing that directing your heart's affection towards Him is the only thing that will give you hope? Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this book. We thank you for this letter. We thank you for this word that, that truly does stick the landing. Lord, we pray that as we go out into this week, that you would help us to recognize that we do not go alone, but that you are with us every step of the way, that you are with us Uh, in all of your finished work, love and grace and peace. Lord, we pray, Spirit, we pray that you would help us to pray over the course of this week, that our, our, our life with you would be vital, that it would be alive, that you would give us eyes to see what you are doing around us, that you would give us hearts that would be open to what you are doing within us. And Lord, we we pray this to the end, that your name would be glorified, that your fame would be made great, and, and that all that we do may speak to faithfulness in the end. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.